Blog Talk Radio. Corruption. Greed. Xenophobia. White supremacy. A nation in the grips of a pandemic. Healthcare resources strained to their limits. An economy on the brink of collapse. And at the helm, a clueless con artist who cares more about his own re-election over saving lives. Join Liberal Dan Radio to talk from the left that's right. Live Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on blogtalkradio.com slash liberaldan at 24-7 at liberaldan.com. We must unite to save this country in spite of this buffoon's ineptitude before it's too late. Coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, it's Eric 914-803-4131. That is 914-803-4131. If you're listening live on blogtalkradio.com slash liberaldan on the episode page, you can also join us in the chat room and ask questions there. And I believe you can also connect via Skype if you have Skype. And if you're listening after the live broadcast and you, leave, you want to leave your comments, questions, concerns, etc., you can always comment on the show thread at liberaldan.com, go to facebook.com slash liberaldan, or at liberaldanradio on Twitter. At the bottom half of the hour, I will be welcoming back to the program Rebecca Parson, a candidate for Congress in the Washington State's 6th Congressional District, and we will be discussing certain things like a homes guarantee going back over uh, her ideas when it comes to universal rent control and other ideas uh, pertaining to the rent crisis that is being faced in this country currently because of the coronavirus. Uh, what this has revealed, uh, which I discussed a little bit last week is that, you know, this economy is not well-suited to handle pandemic such as this because you wind up having these snowball effects that take place where, okay, well, now these people who are not essential, they can't work, so they lose their jobs. So they lose their jobs, they can't pay their rent. So you have lots of people who can't pay their rent. You then have these uh, people who are renting now can't afford their mortgages. And it snowballs from there, and it goes crazy. But – we're going to be talking about that at the bottom half of the hour. We're going to have plenty of time to talk, discuss that. I think, and, I, and I want to bring up one of the other issues that I brought up last week, which was how does Section 8, does Section 8 really help people who are low income? Or is it, are there more problems with it than it solves? Can we do a better job with it? Is a universal rent control or a uh, housing guarantee, a homes guarantee, a way to um, help people have a place to live. But 
Um, we still got other things to discuss um, in this episode. Uh, there's the uh, COVID-19. Finally, Donald Trump got off of his idea that we need to um, go back because Americans want to get to work and they're going to go. They want to go back on the 12th. Well, no, we don't. Nobody wants to get sick. Nobody wants to get the coronavirus. And, you know, you were have people who say, but he kept repeating it over and over again at the press conference. Well, I had people tell me that we should just write it out, write it out. Well, if we would have write it out, the estimates would have told us that we would have had 2 million deaths potentially, maybe more. And we are now expecting between 100 and 200,000 deaths, assuming that people do what they're told to do, which they're not doing. You've had for the longest time, you saw people still going to spring break and other places on beaches in Florida, you know, celebrating the fact that they're not going to be at home. You've had, even though, you know, Disney, Disney world already closed indefinitely, but DeSantis in Florida can't be bothered to, he can't be bothered to, to take his public. Visa. I'm waiting to be told by the federal government. Federal government has much been telling you, look, People need to stay home. And then finally, at this press conference, when the, it, took a, it took someone from the media asking the Trump administration, what would you tell him? Are we, well, we like to let the federal, the, the state governments do what they want. We want to let the state governments handle it. The state, only if they're egregious, it's a big word, only if they're egregious will, will we step in and stop them from doing things. But we like to let the, but and then the media again was like, well, what do you Thing. Well, we would hope that all of them would stay home. So then finally, DeSantis is like, okay, well, I guess I can tell them to go stay home then. Why couldn't you just do it yourself? Louisiana's governor, who is not a liberal by any stretch of the imagination, he's, you know, moderate. Uh, he's, a, he's a centrist, uh, but extremely pro-life, which makes him a little more conservative than a centrist in my eyes. He... I mean, he's better than that was running against him. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. If you look up, just like if, if, if this is available online and you go look up Louisiana gubernatorial debate between Eddie Rispone and John Bell Edwards, I think it was on uh, Louisiana Public Radio, and you just look in and you see what what he would say and, and how, you know, how he handled it. We would have been in, you know, just a whole mess of crap had it not been for the fact that the Louisiana voters decided to choose John Bell Edwards, thank goodness, um, over Rispone. Um, and then we've got just – I have a caller. I think this is our friend from California. Um, I will get to you in a second. We had the um, – People giving uh, pushback to de Blasio in New York City, uh, going after uh, saying, you know, look, we have these synagogues that are that are still meeting and they're still congregating. And he basically said, if you close, if you shut down or if you don't shut down, if you keep having services, then we're going to fine you and we might even close your building down. And, well, you can't do that. It's freedom of religion. Well, no, freedom of religion, just like any other right. It stops when you harm other people. And if you're helping to spread the coronavirus, guess what? You're harming other people. 
Now, under I was raised Jewish, so under Judaism, you know, in order to have a, a legitimate prayer, uh, if you're following an observance, you need to have a group of ten people meeting in the in the congregation uh, in order for the prayer to be, I guess, acceptable in, in the Lord's eyes. Um, now. I tweeted a bunch about this. If you follow me at Liberal Dan Radio on Twitter, I did tweet about this, and I responded to the article. I think it was the J Post, Jerusalem Post, that posted it. And I even tagged a rabbi just because I said, hey, back me up on this. And she liked one of the comments, so I'm guessing there was no objections uh, to, uh, to my uh, ideas on Jewish thought. Uh, first and foremost, under Jewish law, the most important thing that you can do is save a life, period. So... If you're going to – so it, it, it's generally frowned upon, to say the least, to eat on Yom Kippur. You have to fast on Yom Kippur. That's a fast day. It's the Day of Atonement. You're not supposed to eat on Yom Kippur. You're also not supposed to mix milk and meat. You're also not supposed to eat pork. But if you had a gun – if somebody had a gun to their head and the person with the, holding the gun said, Dan, I need you to eat this ham and cheese sandwich on Yom Kippur – or I will shoot this person right now. Guess what I have to do? Guess what? Not only am I allowed to eat the ham and cheese sandwich on Yom Kippur, I will be required to eat that ham and cheese sandwich on Yom Kippur. Again, because saving a life under Jewish law is more important than following any other law. It's one of the reasons there's a, a cute movie with Gene Wilder and Harrison Ford called The Frisco Kid. And basically it's a story of this rabbi who's traveling west. I think he's going to go... Uh, open a synagogue, be a rabbi for a synagogue in San Francisco. And there's this scene where uh, they they don't want to ride a horse. Ride the horse because it's, it's the Sabbath, it's Shabbat. And he's, you know, it, they're, it's getting towards Sunday, but the bad guys are chasing them. And they're going to catch them if they don't get on the horse. And Harrison Ford is getting very frustrated because he's this kind of um, – scoundrel shocking as it is and he uh, basically gets hired i think to, to transport uh, safe to safe to safety uh the rabbi to go to san francisco and the rabbi you know they're getting to uh, uh the mountain these mountains and and once they get to the mountains and once the sun sets behind the mountains it will no longer be the sabbath and therefore it will be safe for them kosher for them to get on the horses and ride except for the fact that under jewish law if somebody was chasing you, literally, if they literally were chasing you and trying to kill you, you could get on that horse and ride all you want all Saturday long if you so chose. So, and there was a case, I think it was a story of a bunch of Jews praying at the Western Wall in Jerusalem. They were all gathering together, a thousand Jewish people gathering together, praying to end coronavirus. Sorry, you're not following your religion because you're doing harm to people because you're risking the spread of the virus. Simple as that. And I suggested, to, I would suggest to anybody who's a practicing Jew who needs to get a minyan, which is a group of 10 people, get a minyan together uh, to be able to have an effective prayer, that do it virtually. Have a virtual minyan. Get, get Google Hangouts and pray over Google Hangouts. And... You know, and maybe if you just don't want to connect, if it's the Sabbath and you don't want to connect on the Sabbath, you know, maybe God will forgive you this once. Maybe he'll say, you know what? By praying alone in their houses today, 
They are saving the lives of other people. And as such, it would be written into the good book, as it would be said. So I think, I think some people tend to take And here's the only problem I would have with de Blasio. If de Blasio was only saying this about Jews and not saying that Muslims, Christians, or any other religious group uh, also were going to be threatened with fines and closure if they continued to meet, I would have a problem with that because it should be even handed it should be covered in an even handed way and not covered only against one religion. I have a feeling that it's likely across the board. There are other states that are saying that you can I think Washington State, maybe the governor of Washington State in the stay at home order excluded uh, prayer services as necessary. No, it's not. It's not necessary. You can pray by yourself. You can pray with people online. You can you can you can do. Saw a funny meme about this too, where you had um, the church basically said, "You don't have to go to church to pray." You during the virus outbreak, you can pray by yourself. And I was like Martin Luther, like what? So that was that was quite amusing. Anyway, let's go to the phones and see if I am correct. If this is my uh, friend from California. No, it's not your friend from California. This is Naj in Atlanta. Just wanted to oh, Naj shout you Welcome out for back doing to the thing, show. Man. We have not had <laughs> Naj in a while. Good to hear from you again. Yeah, same, man. Uh, I see you doing uh, the Lord's work, so to say, uh, <laughs> speaking speaking to people in a way that they need to be spoken to, man. Like people yes, have to be serious I, I, about I, it. Now, whether or not the people listen, that's that's that leaves that's left to be seen. But we'll see. Um, hopefully, you know. Get on the internet and retweet the show and say, this guy's doing God's work. Listen to him if you're not staying at home, especially if you think you need to pray uh, in groups. Facts. And how's a preacher going to put gas in his Cadillac? It's a very strange time. Very tough, very tough <laughs> How thing am going I supposed on out to here. survive the coronavirus with a Learjet 3? I need a Learjet right. 4 to fly over the virus. <laughs> right. Strange things are coming, man. But, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going to check out your interview uh, with your guest, man. Good that you're still doing your show. But I'm I just, I'm just surprised at not only people's ability to just act like things aren't happening, but they really don't understand how big and how daunting this is. This is not something that's going to go away in a couple of months. The ramifications for this, we are going to feel for the next two years at least. Like, this is going to be a struggle, not just with dealing with the disease, but getting the economy back, uh, the amount of jobs that are going to be changed or completely gone in the industry that will be changed, you know, <laughs> for the future. Like, we are looking at a serious, serious, serious changing in our lives, and the new normal is going to be way beyond what we felt in 2008. But it's hard to get people to understand that because at a certain point they turn you off because they don't want to be, you know, they don't want to be in fear. Right. <laughs> there's, well, there's well, well, they think so. where information is kind of good as opposed to taking it as fear monitoring. It's like, no, you need to know more to be prepared. Well, it's like the whole thing with when, when the Democrats were like, you know, in January, we need to do something. Early February, we need to do something. We need to, we need to act on this, and you're not acting enough on this on this potential threat. And he's like. That's the new hoax. That is the new hoax. We can't, you know, I'm like, and, and no, he didn't say that the virus itself was a hoax, but that's what his supporters heard when he said that. And that, and so then 
that has also has a snowballing effect when so so now his supporters so now the the politicians who are Republicans they're afraid like I'm I think DeSantis I don't, I don't want to say that he's a complete idiot in Florida um, but I think he was scared to act because he knew well Trump won Florida and Trump but Trump winning Florida he wants to win re-election too in Florida and if he and the only way to do so is not piss off the Trump supporters. So he was waiting for Donald Trump and Pence to say, like, you know what, you should close down. And they said that just enough yesterday. Like, I was listening to President, it was just enough of a, of, of a place for DeSantis to hang his hat. So they were like, okay, we can do a stay-at-home order. And, but because, because his supporters, Trump supporters are like, this is a virus, this is a hoax, this is not real. You know, I, I don't know anybody that died, so clearly nobody died. <sighs> yeah, well, well so, so much of their identity is tied up into that dude. So it's not the normal thing of political reckoning where the guy promises one thing and something else happens, and then you see the consequences. This is the thing to where they are so bought in. Like you're talking about people who have kind of alienated the rest of their family and become this little, uh, what would you call it, this little crew within itself, and Cult. they're looking at the rest of the world. Right. They're looking at the rest of the world as if the rest of the world is crazy. And I'll get out right. of here on this, but just real quick, in Atlanta, was a mayor, Kasim Reed. And years ago, uh, he spent some money on uh, prep preparation for winter storms because there was a possibility of us having an ice storm and maybe a blizzard down here in Atlanta. So right. that, that winter, the blizzard never came. So immediately the Republican side in Georgia went after him. Oh, he's wasting money. Look at this. He spent money on ice trucks and went off on him. You know, made it a big deal. That was a He lost political capital in that fight. The next year, we actually got that ice storm, didn't have the trucks ready, and that's where you got that snow palooza thing in Atlanta where people had to walk away from their cars and leave them in the street, and people couldn't pick up their kids. Like, it was this whole big thing. And and that kind of, you know, conflates to what we're talking about now in a small-scale way. Preparation means everything when you're about to take a big punch, and that goes for a city, for a nation, or whatever. So when you have somebody at the helm who doesn't know what the hell they're doing and has, you know, such nefarious, you know, ways of doing things and is so focused on their own objectives and not things uh, in a real way like handling consequences, this is what we have. Trying right. to do all and, of this and the worst on the thing is, is, is that The worst thing is, is that by, if we were to prepare and we were to, if we do everything that we're supposed to do and we go above and beyond as a nation and do everything perfectly – and let's say we cut the death toll to even half of what is being expected because everybody finally decides to behave right. And we manage, right. we, and then people will be like, oh, it was all overblown. You know, it was <laughs> overblown. We don't, we, we don't have, it, it didn't affect everybody. It, we, we deal with this with hurricanes all the time down here in New Orleans when, oh, we're doing a mandatory evacuation. And then all of a sudden the storm curves right at the last minute because no one takes into consideration the jet stream. And the storm will curve right at the last minute and not hit us. And they'll be like, oh, well, the next time they're less likely to leave. I'm like, no, still should have left because we're half the city under sea level. And if a levee breaks, you're going to be screwed. So get out of Dodge just in case, because if, if the bad thing does happen, you don't want to be sorry. But people are always right. just like trying to be like, oh, well, the bad thing didn't happen this time. And they try to wrongly apply boy who cried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like to think to think about their logic. You would have to assume every time you ate that the last bite of food is what filled you up. 
Like the the way that they <laughs> twist things and the way that everything has the narrative of what's within their cult. Uh, I, I don't know how some of these people ever come back from this because I think at a certain point they've put so much into it, not only intellectually, but emotionally and right. a spiritual angle to it too. Like, I don't know how some of these people ever walk away from this. And honestly, I think America needs a boring bean counter as president more than anything now going forward. We don't need the pizzazz. We don't need one-liners. We need bean counters. Strictly, We by definitely the book, need somebody who's not going to call every person a name. Like, I mean, the fact that right. he has to call everybody a name. I mean, I don't think a seven-year-old acts like that. But, I mean, I've, I've <laughs> talked about this before on the show, too, where where it's 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 not a conservative thing. The only person you ever are you ever supposed to apologize to or admit a mistake to to God. Everyone else, if you apologize, if you, it's show, it's a show of weakness. So it's like if they they're shown that they that, that, that if if they've made a mistake, they're not going to admit that they make the mistake. They, they're going to double down on the mistake that they made to just prove that it, it really wasn't a mistake. I was really right here. Like I'm gonna. Who cares if it's a 12? I'm doubling down. Who cares if it's a 16? I'm doubling down. I was the wrong. Well, I'm gonna do the same thing again, <laughs> and I'm gonna put twice as much money on the table this time because just to prove that I'm right. You know, it's just like right. they have to. They, they cannot just say, you know what, I was wrong. I'm sorry. And and sometimes the way that maybe we can go after them might help with the digging in a bit. But I don't believe that if we were if we were just like you know, maybe we should consider the fact that, you know, you made a mistake. And like, oh, I didn't make a mistake. So they probably still just dig in anyway, no, no, even no, if you were no, nice no, about no, Dan, it. Don't, Dan, don't give them that olive branch. We did that for two years. We got I interviews know. in every major publication from diners and, <laughs> and hunting lodges <laughs> and uh, the book, uh, what was it, uh, Redneckiology or whatever the hell that terrible book was. Like, we had a whole industry based around, no, we just don't understand them, and we need to hear their side. And what we actually found out was when you tried to talk to them and tried to talk about the good of the, uh, of the nation and good of all, they let you know, no, we don't like those people, those people, those right. people, those people, and everything's their fault. It's like one of the problems <laughs> I was having a conversation with my, uh, with my friend on, on Twitter, uh, Nimbus Yosh on Twitter. Um, he, uh, we are having a conversation um, about – just, you know, he asked, you know, he asked the question, what is a Democrat? And he asked it on his podcast. Nobody apparently wanted to answer the question. So I got up with his podcast. And I was like, well, all right, I'll answer your question. Fine. And they gave him like a five tweet response on what is a Democrat. Uh, and and it was like, look, Democrats basically are, are people who are going to stand up for all of these particular things. But in, in reality, a Democrat is a coalition of, of individual groups who kind of have to compromise on things in order to get most of what they yeah. want done. Whereas the Republican is, they're a kind of a solid whole where as long as you're doing the, as long as you are um, against abortion, pro guns and fighting minorities, uh, anything else that you do, they don't care about. Is grievance politics. They have a list of grievances and a list yeah. of enemies. Like, yeah. <laughs> and pretty much that's the thing that knits, Knits them together. Now you go to the other side. The, the big split and the big fight is between what centrists and progressives, and I don't think that's anywhere near being solved. I think that fight's going to continue even after this election. But, oh, it's not. Yeah, well, well, because I, I've uh, laid out a well-reasoned argument on this show, on my on my on my minicast that I have on Anchor Radio, 
I'll have to do, I have to do another one too, of those soon. I, I, I've put it online. I, I'm basically explaining, you know, the, the problems that Bernie Sanders had uh, are mostly of his own creation because he didn't go to the South. He ignored, you know, he did not reach out to the black voters in the South to, to explain to them why perhaps his, his policies would be best for them. And they soundly rejected him for it because they don't know him. They know Joe Biden. That's why you saw Bernie Sanders take like less than 50% of Mississippi. And the reason that every, every single Bernie Sanders supporter, with the exception of one that I know uh, that I, or that I kind of talked to about this, come back and be like, well, the South's conservative. Why would he campaign the South as conservative? And I'm like, because the primary voters are not conservative. The primary voters are, are part of your core base of the Democratic Party. And if you're not reaching out to them in the South, you're likely not reaching out to them anywhere else. And yeah. they just don't want to see it. They have to, they have to believe that, uh, that it's almost like a cult, too, with at least some of the support, not all of them. I'm not even going to say most of them, because I think 90% of them voted for Hillary anyway last time. It's a 10% that's Chris. But, you know, that you had, you know, they, they, they can't admit that they're the politician that they like and that's the key word there, politician, uh, is fallible. And it has to have been somebody else's fault as to why he lost. It couldn't have been that he didn't campaign in nine states. That, 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 that's, not, that's not something that makes sense to them. I don't know. It's frustrating. Well, well, cause... I, I, I think that that's one part of the problem. And, again, black voters are no different than any of the other segment of voters. They're just as susceptible to media manipulation and hours of sure. presenting Biden as, you know, whatever they want to present him as. So that works to a certain degree. But to me, uh, I, I think Bernie's biggest problem was uh, he chose not to fight. He chose to be respectable. He chose to take on what he considered, <laughs> what he considered establishment dims trying to wreck his uh, candidacy. But when he got on the debate stage, he would try to be cordial. He'd try to, you know, you know what I mean? He'd try to find a middle ground. And it's like, dude, if you're making that charge, if you're saying right. that's what it is, you have to be a fighter in this moment. So I, well, the other I, I thing is that is that. Himself. But you knew he knew where he failed in the 2016 uh, primaries. He knew the right. states that he lost. He knew that nine of those states existed all in the South. So where was he in 2017, 2018, 2019, doing outreach to those communities in the South to try and bolster his name and get support there? Go to the pastors in the churches in, in, in the South. Go to other progressive groups in the South to try and work with them and try and build his base. I didn't see any of that. I didn't see any large push to get, you know, Bernie Sanders, you know, more well-known and more supported in Louisiana. Louisiana's another state that when we would have had our primary, it's now postponed to June. Um, so likely the whole thing should be over by then. I mean, I think it's technically over now, uh, but um, look, look I, I have a better platform and it speaks for itself. It's not an actual argument. You actually right. have to make that argument and convince right. people of why they should come to your side. And, you know, the, the unsaid has always been, you know, a lot of voters looked at how things were playing out and said, I don't think people are going to be, be behind him to a certain degree because they're scared of that word called socialism. So they'll go right. with the safer option. Now the whole world has changed. We're a couple of weeks in. Guess what? The whole country is running on what? Socialism. Socialism. 60% yeah. of GDP is coming from government coffers. 
So, you know, the world changed real quick. Take advantage in this moment, then maybe he's just not the one, and it's going to be up to another progressive <laughs> next go I, I, th- I, I think that's probably the case. I think it's going to be another somebody who's going to maybe fight harder on some of the issues, point these things out, but somebody who also is going to realize that, you know what, you have to campaign in all 50 states when it comes to the primaries. And because, I mean, I don't know, how do, how do you win with – getting 15% in Mississippi. It just doesn't, uh, it's just, I mean, Mississippi's not huge, but, but but everything's so structured in the way that the Democratic primaries are, you have the situation where, you know, they're all given proportionally, unlike the Republican primaries where it's given all or nothing. But all or nothing primary, yeah, you might not care about Mississippi. If you can go in, if you could in California and get all or nothing in California, you'd be destroyed, you'd be killing it. But mm-hmm. we give things progressively because we want everybody to have their say. So that's what it is. But anyway, um, I do appreciate yeah, you calling I, yeah, in. I know you got your interview, man. So hold yeah, it she down. should I'm be calling in. in and a, online. Uh, have a good appreciate one. Well, thank good you. Talk to you. As you all stay healthy, stay safe, and call back in. And again, tell everybody else that I'm speaking the truth in the stay home thing. So <laughs> unless you <laughs> right. have to go. I mean, down here in New Orleans, we say make groceries. But if you have to go get groceries, send one person to go get groceries. I've seen so many people where it's like several adults and kids in a group going to get groceries. I'm like, just send one. Only one of you need to go. Don't put all of yourself. Not look back kindly on us. No, they're going to be like, what the (laughs) hell were they doing during this pandemic? Were they stupid or what? I mean, I see. Have you played the game? Have you played the game Play Gink on your phone? Uh uh. Okay, this is game Play Gink, and it's. You are a virus, and you are trying to destroy the world, and you you adapt yourself and you mutate yourself by the points that you get, depending on where you are and what you're going. And, and there's some sort of tricks where you can like, easily win if you follow these certain paths or do the certain things. But, like, every time something would happen, a big announcement would happen on the news with this, I, like, really closed its borders. I'm like, oh, shit, that's, that's one of the things that happens on this game when the virus is winning, that they start closing borders. Up, oh, shut, shutting down air air traffic. Uh oh. <laughs> so it's it, 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 and 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 as soon as this this started growing, the uh, it, it was crazy. At like downloads of this game just like skyrocketed, and then China was like, nope, you can't download this game. We don't want you to do it <laughs> because they don't want anybody. They didn't want anybody, you know, trying to destroy the world with a virus in their own game. Uh, but apparently, <laughs> the same makers are making a, a Corona version where it's like you're trying to prevent corona from spreading so you're switching it i guess you're okay you're going to you know increase hand washing you're going to decide whether or not you're going to close uh close school close this close that whatever um funny thing i've I've been having fun with my kids uh at home since they, they do some school work from remotely but i did manage to change my alexa today uh to say uh when you say alexa what is um what is um what day is April 1st? And Alexa responds back by saying um, April 1st or April Fool's Day is on April 5th because of the corona pandemic. <laughs> so I, I, I had my kids convinced that April Fool's Day is April 5th. So that was my April Fool's joke of the day. Anything that works, man. But yeah, man. All right. Well, you have a good one. I'm going to go get the commercial break and then we'll get to Rebecca on the flip side. All right. Cool. Well, thank you again for calling in. And hold on, going to uh, hit the first commercial break. 
uh, come back taking your calls as well. That's area code 914 803 That is area code 914-803-4131. This is Liberal Day and Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. Are you planning a trip to Disney soon? Do you want help avoiding spending mistakes and making the most of your vacation? Then check out BudgetEars.com, a new site devoted to helping you get the most mouse for your money. What kinds of tickets should you get? Is the dining plan a good deal for you? Should you stay on grounds or not? Should you buy park hoppers? Many other sites are filled with information about what other people like to do. But BudgetEars is geared to help you make the best decision for you. So check out BudgetEars.com or go to YouTube.com slash BudgetEars and help make your trip the best it can be. BudgetEars.com is not a travel agency and it is not affiliated with the Disney Corporation or any of its holdings. In a world gone mad, one progressive will do a bad movie trailer guy impression to get you to listen to his show. There's only one thing that I like better than the Liberal Dan Radio minicast. All right, Bill, that's enough of that. On the Liberal Dan Radio minicast, you will hear an honest discussion of the day's issues with some personal bits in between. You might even hear what the other side has to say, sometimes even in their own voices. So become one of the Liberal Dan family, because family means no one gets left behind or forgotten. To hear those bad impressions and more, tune into the Liberal Dan Radio minicast. Talk from the left, that's right. And I think to myself, what a wonderful show, mmm, yeah. Are you someone who is looking to get into the ride-sharing business, be it for a side hustle or a full-time gig? Are you currently a ride-share driver wondering how to increase your earnings? Are you simply a new rider looking for first-time rider credits? Head on over to RideshareDan.com for those first-time rider credits, sign-up bonuses for new drivers, and my tips and tricks to help you make more money in the gig economy. Greetings. This is Nimbus Josh, host of the Percy Podcast. What is the Percy Podcast? <laughs> well, it's pretty much the smoothest talking host you'll ever hear in your life, talking about all kinds of things, political things, nerdy things, fun things, not-so-fun things. Go ahead, give a listen, and follow at the Percy Podcast for more updates and information. Why not sit back and take a listen to one of the best podcasts you'll ever hear, and no one else will. <laughs> Catch you on the tunes. And welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, area code 914-803-4131. That is area code 914 And remember, if you're listening after the live broadcast, you can always leave your comments, questions, concerns, etc. on the show thread at liberaldan.com, on facebook.com slash liberaldan, or at liberaldanradio on Twitter. 
And if you're also listening live and you don't feel like calling in, the, the show page itself has, or the episode page on Blog Talk Radio has a chat that is open. You can come in and leave uh, type a message. I think in order to type messages, you might have to sign up for a Blog Talk Radio account uh, to sign into the chat. But otherwise, you can come in. You can ask questions there as well. Um, so a few months back, maybe more, uh, I had on, as again, my show uh, candidate from the Washington Congressional District, uh, Rebecca Parsons. Um, the, one of the things that we talked about or spoke about was uh, the idea of a universal rent control uh, because of the issues with rent. And if there was one thing that one of the things this pandemic uh, has shown us is that there is if many, many issues going on with uh, renting and housing in this country. Uh, there are many, many people who are at risk uh, when it comes to having a place over their head. You know, our country uh, says or founded on the idea that people are down on their creator uh, with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and how to have a right to life if, if that doesn't include something to put over your head, a place to sleep, uh, a place to, place to live. Um, how do you have a how can you how can you live without a place to live anyway? So without further ado, let's bring back on Rebecca to the show. Thank you very much, Rebecca, for uh, coming back on. Appreciate you know come back and um, just give us a little update about how the campaign is going first before we get to the the meat of the subject. Hi Dan, yeah, thanks for having me back. I'm excited to be on again, and the campaign is going really well. We just finished up the first quarter of the year, and we actually increased our fundraising by $10,000 from the quarter before, which is amazing. And we also have gotten new don- um, endorsements. So DSA, Democratic Socialists of America endorsed, also Matriarch PAC, which is a, a progressive group for uh, working class women who are running for Congress. So gotten new endorsements, uh, raising a lot more money, building a team, getting tons of volunteers. Uh, we were one of the first campaigns in the country to suspend canvassing because I'm in Washington State, really near Seattle, where the first outbreak of coronavirus in the States was. And right. so we suspended canvassing uh, several weeks ago, and we're moving all online. And um, that's been really interesting to figure out. So we're getting really creative and uh, doing a lot of phone banking and other ways of reading, reaching voters from home, and it's going really well. Has your opponent done the same thing? I have not heard of him doing any phone banking. No, well, I, mean, I think so, he uh, is. I guess kind of everybody has oh, to at ahead. this point. Is, as, as, if he basically has to, like basically wait until he was forced to uh, shut down any uh, in-person canvassing, or you don't know? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure of his timeline, but um, I know that he was doing, you know, I heard of his, uh, you know, people from his campaign in various places around the district, and I haven't heard of that in, you know, at least a couple of weeks. So I think they've had okay. to suspend as well. Well, you know, I mean, you did the responsible thing, and then and, and then that should be applauded. I mean, we shouldn't applaud people for doing the bare minimum, but, you know, you did the right thing, and they're setting the example, and that's a good thing. So, um, so again, on the last show, uh, we talked about universal rent control. The idea that you know, with you, know, you can't really have rent control in certain municipalities because then people just buy housing right outside the municipality and circumvent those uh, rules. Uh, for so people who want to have access to housing might have to then pay more for it because they're building in places. So if you have universal rent control, 
uh, you, you do this. But today is the day of the National Red Strike. And you had brought up on Twitter, um, you, you questioned, you know, what are you going to do? How are people going to react when today comes along and they're not allowed uh, or they're not able to uh, pay the rent because they, they, they've been forced to stay home because of this pandemic? Um, and uh, you have a uh, you, you have a hashtag on several tweets at least that, that talk about the homes guarantee, uh, and so um, let's let's talk a little bit about the homes guarantee first, um, and um, and and what what that what that means to you. Like, what, what is a homes guarantee? Like, if you were in Congress and you were going to pass or draft a bill of yourself, or going to attach your name to a, legis- a piece of legislation that's proposed by somebody else or for a group that's pushing for a homes guarantee, what would that look like? Yeah. And I'm glad you brought it up in the context of coronavirus and people being out of work and not knowing how they're going to pay their rent and mortgages today, uh, being April 1st, because it's a really big problem. And if we had a homes guarantee, like so many, you know, liberal and progressive policies, we would be, our society as a whole would be better off dealing with the coronavirus and people, their situations would not be so dire. And what I would support or what I will support in Congress, you know, either putting it forward or signing on if somebody else puts it forward is a home guarantee. And that would mean building 12 million units, building or rehabbing 12 million units of social housing and public housing in the next 10 years. That's how many units were short. And then the ultimate goal is to eradicate homelessness. I think in the wealthiest country on earth, we can afford to do this. And as we see with the bailout, which I think was just abysmal, uh, trillions of dollars to corporations and pennies to working people. You know, if we can give $2 trillion and more to corporations, we can end homelessness, especially when so many homes are sitting empty. It would also mean reinvesting in existing public housing and protecting renters and also bank tenants, so people who are severely uh, over-mortgaged and at risk of being evicted because of that. It would end uh, land and real estate speculation and seek to decommodify housing and then further the Green New Deal through the construction of green homes. And one of the things that I really like about this is that it um, intertwines with other progressive policies in a, really, in a way that's really beneficial to regular people and to society at large. So, for example, part of the Green New Deal is a federal jobs guarantee, and part of the homes guarantee is guaranteeing homes, which is going to mean a lot of rehabbing and a lot of construction. So part of the and green homes because uh, buildings are a major source of uh, carbon emissions. So as part of the jobs guarantee for the Green New Deal, part of that would be building, uh, building and rehabbing homes that are guaranteed by the homes guarantee. And then let's say if you <clears throat> want to get trained in this um, and we have Medicare for all, so you're guaranteed healthcare, you can get trained on uh, green construction, for example, and know that while you're getting trained on this and going to school for it, you still have health insurance. And then when you're done with your training, you can move wherever in the country you want. Or if you're in an area like in my district on the Olympic Peninsula, which is rural and a beautiful area, uh, but has a real lack of jobs. Or if you're in somewhere where there used to be a lot of coal jobs and there aren't anymore, but you want right. to stay where you are and you don't want to have to move to get a job, you can because you can get a job where you are. And so, you know, Medicare for all, jobs guarantee and homes guarantee, they all start to work together. And if we had it right now, you know, in Tacoma, two people who are homeless were recently diagnosed positive with coronavirus. And I mean, just imagine there's every night, there's 200,000 people sleeping on the streets of America, 500,000 are homeless, 200,000 on the streets, 300,000 are sheltered, maybe in a homeless shelter, couch surfing, squatting, whatever. 
So, right. I mean, 500,000 people homeless, 200,000 on the streets. Imagine sleeping on the street trying to fight coronavirus. It's just awful. Absolutely. And like in New Orleans here, they, at least for one of the areas, they, they took everybody out of an area that were typically, that's typically used for, um, that by homeless people. Uh, and they moved them into a hotel that wasn't being used, uh, basically giving them a place to stay and allowing them, I guess, to, to be um, separated from others, you know, to, to fight the virus, which I guess is a, is a short-term solution. But if we can do that in the short term in a hotel, we should be able to do that in the long term with, with a house or with an apartment or whatever. Um, one of the things that always mm-hmm. confused me, and I don't know if you know this or not, I'm not trying to do a gotcha. If you don't know, you don't know. Um, but like in New Orleans, we used to have a lot of public housing. You know, you would, you would talk about the, you know, the desire projects, the Iberville housing projects, you'd have other, you know, public housing that were all torn down after Katrina um, and were replaced with mixed income housing. So instead of, you know, so you could buy a house, you could get a house there if you wanted to, if you could afford to get it, or you would, I guess, use Section 8 uh, to get it. So, so do you know why, like, we, we had this move from, um, or if you don't know exactly why, why we, we did this move in, in our country from, you know, going moving away from public, wanting to tear down housing projects instead of replacing them with new ones and replacing old public housing with new public housing to, to, to this kind of mixed income type situation, utilizing Section 8 instead? Well, I think, I mean, honestly, I, I think it existed to keep enriching developers because if you have public housing, uh, if that does not enrich anybody. And that's what, that's what our political system exists to do for a lot of people. And uh, real estate developers, you know, giant corp. I mean, you know, when I talk about this stuff, I'm not talking about, you know, mom and pop landlords. I'm not talking about, you know, friends of mine who own one or two rentals because they're worried that social security might not exist when they're in their 60s and 70s. Like what I mean is extremely wealthy developers, large corporations, they come in, uh, you know, raise public housing or buy a building and uh, renovate it and then triple the rents, that kind of thing, really um, exploitative practices. And so I think that's the move towards it. And, you know, one issue with Section 8 is that it doesn't remove the, the profit motive and the speculation and gentrification from the equation. And so if you have mixed income housing, but the only way somebody can afford, you know, to live there is section eight, well then the rents can keep rising and rising and rising. And maybe they're quote unquote affordable compared to the other housing in that uh, building or that complex, but it's still out of reach for somebody making minimum wage working two jobs, then they can still get gentrified out of living in that area. So that's one of the problems of Section 8. And I think that there is value in having mixed income housing or you know, social housing, because then you have, uh, you don't have like, oh, this is the one part of town where only, yeah. you know, poor people live. And this is the part of town where only rich people live. And then it also starts to get very racially segregated, too, because of that. And if you have um, people from different uh, socioeconomic groups, people of different races, different uh, jobs that they work living together, it's beneficial for society, but it has to be done in a way where, you know, the uh, poor people can actually afford to stay and they won't get gentrified out of it. And Section 8 doesn't address that. Right. And that was one of the other things I was thinking about because I was discussing um, last week's topic of the show was the is rent theft, which is, I guess, one step beyond 
you know, the rent strikes and, and universal, um, you know, universal housing guarantees and universal rent control. Um, but one of the things that I was, I was thinking about, one of the articles that I was reading online uh, on the show last week was discussing Section 8. And I kind of came to, I kind of came to the realization, you know, huh, you know, this, you know, just like with, with, you know, the minimum wage, the minimum wage only benefits are providing benefits uh, like, like food stamps and Medicare and everything to, to pad on top to somebody's minimum, low minimum wage job only benefits like the Walmarts of the world because they, you know, the people are getting paid and then they have to, and Walmart's making billions off of people who, who are they're not, they don't have to pay a living wage to. So almost the same thing on the on kind of the other side with Section Eight. At least what I was thinking of was, is that with Section Eight, you're you're helping to pad up the the rent that a a homeowner can afford. So if now so if I'm a low income person making you know and I, let's say I'm supposed to provide maybe a hundred bucks a month to my to my rent because Section Eight is going to cover the rest. Well now I can afford now I supposedly afford uh, a much larger place or whatever, because now, but the rental, the cost is padded up because they can charge more money now. So if you can, it's artificially mm-hmm. inflating the prices so that people, you know, and, and again, it, it's funneling money into the developers who are now getting all of this section eight money um, and all this government funds. When in reality, the, the actual demand if you, if those people actually believed in capitalism, the demand for those properties would be much lower without that, without the section eight program. Uh, so, so they're artificially increasing the demand and artificially making it so that um, it's harder for everybody else uh, to live in those neighborhoods. Because as uh, property values go up, as property values go up again, gentrification happens and people are forced out of there uh, where, where they're, where they were traditionally living and have to now find other places to live, which means now they have longer commutes to get to work if they're working, which means they have to spend more money on travel costs and they have less money to spend on other things. And then again, it snowballs and all these things just tend to snowball. Um, so am I wrong about any of these things? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I think it's a really good way of looking at it because minimum wage to Walmart being able to pay minimum wage to their workers. And then that meaning that they have to receive food stamps to survive means essentially that uh, the government is using our public money, which belongs to all of us to subsidize the Walton family. So they can get even richer by paying starvation wages to their workers. And the same thing, they're using our public money to enrich developers by using this money to pad their profits. It's just, why not have we, the public use our money to build and own and maintain high quality housing that gives people a decent dignified standard of life without gentrifying them out of it and lining the pockets of people who have plenty of money. They don't need any more. They don't need to be on corporate welfare. Right. And, and one of the things that Bernie Sanders did say um, was that, you know, he's that it's, it's socialism that these people are supporting. It's just a different type of socialism. Like the, to, to pretend yeah. <laughs> for the Trumps of the world, for the, for the, for the other, I guess, corporatists of the world to, to try and say that they're they don't they don't support corporatism they not, they don't support socialism they do it's just a different kind they're just redistributing the wealth yes. to the wealthy instead of redistributing the wealth uh, to the people who can actually spend and have it flow up instead of trickle down because most people who like no economic understand that trickle down economic does not work um, 
And of course, like with, with the whole Walmart thing with the minimum wage and the food stamps, and well, where are, the, where are these people who are working at Walmart because they have to work so many hours there uh, going to be spending their food stamps? Most likely it's going to be at Walmart. So the money just yeah. goes back into Walmart. The, so not only are they making more money on the front end by being able to charge poverty wages, they're also making money on the back end by being able to get intake those food stamps uh, to, to yeah. where their employees get fed. So it's, all in all, it's just, again, it's, like I, was, I was having, a, I mean, it's a completely different topic, but I was having a conversation about the stock market uh, with somebody and, and, and this person, it, it was the most boomer answer that I could possibly have heard from this person. It was, it was like, I was like, and it was, this page is pretty, pretty much like a, a mutual aid. It was like, don't come to this page, you know, offering to sell things. It's only for people to helping each other mutually. The person seemed running the page is very like you know, pro Bernie, you know, big, you know, very much promoting all these, somebody complained about socialism. They're like too bad. That's what I am. That type of thing. And then they post this, this, this mm-hmm. thing about all, how about all, once this thing passes and once the virus is gone, all of these things are going to happen, including the stock market going up. I'm like, wait, what, what? Why are you applauding the stock market going up? That's only going to help the wealthy get wealthier. And so it's like, well, if you and I work hard and we put our, invest our money wisely, we too can become millionaires. And I really wanted to say, you know, <laughs> okay, boomer. But instead, I tried to say, look, this is what they want you to believe. They want you to look up and see this ever-expanding wealth possibility of, of a ceiling. When, as, and what you're not realizing, it's the floor that's sinking. That's what they want you. They want you to exactly. be all rah rah yeah. and distracted over the, the the possibility that you might once get there. It's the same mentality that the South used in the Civil War to get people to fight for them. One day I might own a slave too, so I don't have to fight for the right for these people to own slaves. No, you're never gonna own. You're never gonna be that rich. You're never gonna have a slave. You're just fighting for other people. Uh, and then when I got the same type of answer again from her, I just I gave up and I was like, okay, boomer. Because it's just yeah, it's like we're all yeah, we're not working class. We're just temporarily embarrassed millionaires, and someday we too will. You know, it's not going to happen. They just they don't want to open their ranks and expand and make their bubble bigger. They want to you know put a put a gate around it and put up an access code so we can't get in. (laughs) Right, and and then and then I think I read something where it's like you are more likely to become a millionaire by playing the lottery than you are yeah. <laughs> just by simple hard work. I mean, it, it, it's that rare that you're going to be able to elevate yourself and be that rich normally. I mean, is it going to happen? Sure. Some people will strike it, you know, strike it rich and find something, get lucky, be the next big thing, whatever the next big thing is. But at the end of the day, you can't hope on that. You know, you, you know people can't, but they look at these things like, Ooh, I want to be a millionaire too, so I can't tax the millionaires. No, but meanwhile, yeah, people suffer. Um, so, and, and like I tend, I tend to, you know, consider myself to to be not as as like as as I guess you know socialist side. I mean, people call me a socialist. It's fine. I don't care. I'll view it as a pejorative. It's fine. You know, I do definitely support socialist <laughs> socialist things like Medicare for all. Um, they support mm-hmm. socialist things too, like having a military, but they don't want to talk about that. Um, but on this thread, I was sitting there like, I was sitting there like raising the socialists, like you are like, I was, I almost said the words proletariat. Like I was, I was just like, I I was, I was just trying to just tell all these people why they were so wrong about the stock market and how, and 401, oh, people have 401ks in the stock market. Do you know that the 401k was created for like 
the billionaire class so they could put a little tiny bit of extra money of their wages like that they earn for retirement tax deferred like that's what it was for and instead of doing that the corporations were like okay let's just get rid of pensions and push everybody onto these 401ks and we'll make make it rich because when they did that i forget what i think the company was called occidental and the occidental company had it was when the stock market was really big and they they took their pension plan they had sur- a huge surplus in the pension plan and it was it's like sometimes pension plans will have unfunded liabilities all of their liabilities was funded many times over and so they said okay we're going to cash out the, un- the funded liabilities and give them, give them to everybody as a 401k plan and then keep the rest for ourselves. And then what happened? The yeah. market crashed. All That's these people's rich. retirement went to the <laughs> crapper and these people got rich because they were able to, to, to basically destroy the pensions and take the surplus money. Whereas if they would have kept it as is, these people would have still had a stable retirement and you know, you just would have lost that surplus. So it's, it, that, that's that's the greed of Wall Street. That that's that's what people you know like yourself, like you know other people are trying to avoid. And I know we're going way off topic, but I, I I'm a little ranty no, about I mean, the subject at the moment. <laughs> it's a good point, and it all ties in. You know, people are rightly worried about their retirements, and it, it shouldn't be the case that people watch the stock market having these massive declines that we haven't seen since the Great Recession, and then worrying. You know, what's my retirement going to be like? Or, you know, I have friends who are like, yeah, we're going to buy a rental and we're going to try to build a duplex because we're worried about, you know, not having uh, any retirement available to us in 30 or 40 years. Like, that shouldn't be the case. We talk about entitlements as if, like, working for 40 or 50 years and putting money into the system means that when you want it back, that somehow makes you entitled. No, you, it's public money. You put it in and it belongs to the public. It comes back to you to support you because you're a member of the public. And so it right. shouldn't be the case. Oh crap. You know, my 401k is diving, you know, because of something totally out of my control. Wall Street gets this massive bonus bonus and I'm just screwed. Like that's not how it should work. Everybody should be guaranteed a dignified retirement. Um, it's just the priorities are completely upside down. Yeah. And, you know, you have these situations, you have politicians, um, right wing and left wing combined, you know, that, that, you know, saw the, what, what was going on with the coronavirus and then they just cashed out of their stocks. They, they sold all the stocks that were going to be, that were probably going to tank and they bought stocks that probably would do well. There is, meanwhile, the rest of us mm-hmm. are holding the bag. It's, it's, it's just, it's corrupt, awful. And uh, we definitely need a change. I mean, I've been calling for a change in the Senate for a while now, just because of all the hypocrisy about the nuclear option. Um, but that's a different story mm-hmm. altogether. Um, but anyway, so we're getting, so, I mean, we're, we're, it's not a hard break at the end of the hour, but, um, is there anything else that you want to talk about campaign wise or, or uh, homes wise or homes <laughs> guarantee or anything else that, that we might've missed? No, I think we covered it. You know, my top three issues are the green new deal, Medicare for all and a homes guarantee with national rent control. And I just hope that, you know, you and all of your listeners, anybody listening to this, I hope that you're doing okay with the coronavirus and staying safe and um, getting the support you need because it's a really tough time right now. Absolutely. And how can the people who can afford to support your campaign support your campaign? Um, go to RebeccaForWA.com, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-F-O-R-W-A.com. And uh, there's a donate button there. I don't take any corporate PAC or lobbyist money. So 
Um, I know it's a tough time for a lot of people. If you can afford it, even a dollar, it helps. You know, my average donation is $17. So if you can afford, if you have something to spare and can afford it, I'd really appreciate it. And uh, also at my site, you can find out how to volunteer. We have a lot of phone banking and you can do it from home in quarantine, no matter where you are. And so go there to sign up. And I'm also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Rebecca for WA. Excellent. Well, thank you so much again. And again, open invitation to come back on the show whenever you want to. Just let me know and I will be glad to schedule you in. Or if you just want to call in and say, hey, it's Rebecca, let's talk about this. So I'd be more than happy to have you on awesome. and, and, and hopefully you. to uh, cover your celebration for winning the nomination and hopefully winning the seat as well. So again, uh, that's Re- Rebecca Parson from Washington's 6th Congressional District. And again, you know, check out, you know, I've tweeted at her uh, Twitter accounts as well. So you could probably find all the links there. If you go to at liberaldanradio.com, at liberaldanradio, uh, look for the tweets where I promote this show. Actually, the, her Twitter handle is in my show title, the episode title for this week as well. Uh, that's going to be the end of this week's episode of Liberal Dan Radio. Uh, talk from the left, that's right. Uh, you can tune in next week, next Wednesday, 8 p.m. Central on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, again, you can also follow me uh, liberaldan.com, facebook.com slash liberaldan, or at liberaldanradio on Twitter. So until next week, this is Dan Zimmerman, Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. <laughs>